This morning, we're going to talk about following Jesus and what that means. Uh, we're going to be, we're going to begin with, really with last week. We ended on a on a note on what to what do what do followers of Jesus wear. So I don't want you to have a wardrobe malfunction, but I want to remind you last week that you know this is part of the extreme follower you can have. You can be extremely like this rainbow hair religious, or you can be really really far right and judgmental. And these are not the clothes that the followers of Jesus wear. This is not their clothes. Their clothes are humility, kindness, gentleness, lovingness. These are the clothes that followers of Jesus wear. So uh, I don't want you to have a a wardrobe malfunction because I'm just going to point it out. What do we wear? So that's what we covered last week. Because Jesus invited misbehaviors. So if you feel like you're a person who constantly misbehaves, you're in the right place. You've actually been invited. If you're an unbeliever, I don't know if I believe in God. It's okay. You are invited. These are the people that Jesus literally went to invite. He didn't, he didn't go to invite those who believe. He wanted to reach everyone. And so during this time, I want you to know that you're invited. If nothing else, you're invited to download or online a Bible to open your Bible and read it, you're invited to do that. And we talked about where it leads to follow Jesus. It leads us to have fearless faith. It it leads us to have faith that overwhelms our fears. That's where he's leading us to. That's where he's guiding us to. And today, there's a little bit of a fine print that I need to make sure you know about as you follow Jesus. You're like, ah, this sounds great. This sounds awesome. But there's a little bit of a fine print. When you begin to follow Jesus, there's something you really need to know about that. So without further ado, I'm going to look at my notes here, but when I do that, I have to put these on now. It's borderline annoying. It is really annoying because I don't carry my glasses everywhere and I have to put my phone out like super far right here or like change the font to like really big and that's annoying. You feel me? Thank you. There are benefits to being a follower of Jesus. In America, particularly, but not everywhere. The benefits are, you'll be a better person. You'll be a better husband. You'll learn to be a better friend. you learn to forgive people. you learn to be generous. You're going to learn so many good things about following Jesus. You'll, in fact, avoid avoidable pain. Amen. And you'll avoid some regret. Things that you should not do, you're thinking, man, I'm sure glad I followed Jesus because I would have really messed this up. And Jesus says it's like building a house. And you're building the house on a rock, on concrete. And not building it on sand. Because when the challenges come and the storms come, he says you're going to make it if you build it on the rock. And Jesus gives us a heads up. If you don't have your Bibles with you, I have have a scripture for you. It's in John chapter 8, verse 27. And it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Oh, sorry. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. These glasses aren't helping me very much, obviously. I'm literally that blind now. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on on the way, he asked them, 
Who do you say I am? So you know what I like to do when I, when I start reading the Bible? When, they, when it gives me a city, I go to the back of the Bible, and I look on the map, and I try to find that city, or that little town, that little area. Then I go, okay, where is he talking from? He's saying Caesarea Philippi. So if you look, start scanning your map, you start saying, okay, there's Joppa. Well, that's a pretty crazy name for a city. Okay, there's Jerusalem. Where's Jerusalem? Okay, I got a starting point. Okay, let me work my way. Oh, there's Nazareth. He was born there. Yes, I remember that. Oh, the Sea of Galilee. Lake Gal- and then up higher is the area of Caesarea Philippi. That is the area where he's actually saying these things to him. He's kind of getting away from the ministry. It's kind of a, a little spot he's trying to get away from. And people are still following him there, but he's kind of up here. So when you look in your Bible, I like to look at the city or the town where he's talking from. It just helps me go, oh, that's where he's coming from. You know, on your iPhone, when you do something, it tells you, you, you sent that text from, from Moore Park. Yeah, don't tell people that. That's, that's personal. But if we have the Bible, we can actually tell you where he's coming from. So they replied, they say, some say John the Baptist. You know, he'd recently been beheaded, so they thought he'd been raised from the dead. And if you want to read more about that, you can look in Mark chapter 6. Others say Elijah, and still, uh, still others, one of the prophets. Reincarnation was kind of a common belief back then. So maybe he's come back to life. Maybe, maybe, maybe Elijah's come back. But really, it's not, not the case. And then he asks this question. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you're the Messiah. In Hebrew, it's translated Christ. In Greek, it's translated, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. And so Jesus goes, bingo, shh, don't tell anybody. Keep this to yourself for now. He says, don't tell anybody Keep this to yourself. And then he began to teach them something. Because they're following Jesus. They're starting to wear the right clothes. These are misbehaviors. These are people that don't believe. And they're following us. Because I'm going to teach you something. Now that you realize I'm the Messiah, I'm now going to teach you what's going to happen to me. That he must suffer many things. He's talking about himself. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed. And after three days will rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It sounded like this. Jesus, Jesus. Rebuke me. Rebuke is like, I'm trying to steer you away from craziness, right? He's like, Jesus, Jesus. Don't go negative. Let's not get negative here. Come on. We got a great campaign going on right now. People like us. We're welcome. Women are actually giving us money and feeding us. This is amazing. Don't mess around and start, start talking like this. That's kind of what the rebuke is. Hey, stop that. Don't do that. That's not right. Don't go negative. Besides, you know, you're not going to die. That wouldn't be good for you and for me. Because I'm following you. It's not a good connection there. So Jesus, let's, let's knock off the negativity about dying. That's what Peter's trying to tell Jesus to get him off the track. Don't do this because he realizes it's going to cost him something. And sometimes when you follow Jesus, you realize it's going to cost you something. And that's where you have to decide, am I going to continue following Jesus? So, but, but Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. 
Okay, it's funny, I like this how it's put. Like Peter's talking and pulls him aside. And they're talking one on one. And then Peter's saying this, and then he turns to his disciples. He doesn't turn to Peter because it's a moment to teach everyone who's following Jesus an important lesson. Because what Peter's trying to do is what we try to do in our relationship with God. Yeah. We want the benefits, but when there's a slight of discomfort, we're going, whoa, whoa, that's crazy. Whoa, I didn't sign up for this. So that's why I'm trying to teach you. There is a little bit of a fine print when you follow Jesus. He looked at the disciples and said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the mind of the, the, in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You're acting like a consumer, Peter, not a follower. Here's what a spiritual consumer looks like. A spiritual consumer believes the customer is always right. You know, I didn't appreciate the nuts in the muffin. It's, it was too close to the other muffins. And, you know, the peanut allergy can actually drift in the air and come over... You know, where's the decaf? I thought it was going to be decaf coffee. I didn't see decaf out there. The consumer. The con spiritual consumer is, he assumes all, it's all about goods and services. That when you come to spiritual things, it's all about the goods and the services that you can gain from when you come to visit. Spiritual consumerism insists that the consumer is the king. This is supposed to please you. And following Jesus... That couldn't be further from the truth. Amen. So Jesus sees the confusion in their eyes. Because, you know, Peter was their main guy. He was their spokesman. So you can imagine how startled the disciples were going, Whoa, he just rebuked Peter. And then he calls the crowd together because he knows that they're confused. And he calls the crowd together and he says this. Whoever wants to save their life, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That is what he is telling the audience. He pulls because he, there is a little bit of confusion because they're following and he's going to die. And they're going, what? You're going to die? What? And he says, if you want to save your life, that would be me. You will lose it. Literally, following Jesus in that time, literally, they would lose their life. For you, not so much. And he sees their stunned look on their faces. And, and, and you can't help but think, Oh, they're probably wondering, like you would be wondering, is this a good idea? Is this worth it? Is this a good trade? So Jesus broadens the context of this shocking statement. Now, if you don't think there's nothing beyond this life, then, then that, this next part, don't worry about it. If you don't believe there's, there's, a, there's an afterlife, then this next part doesn't apply to you. But for those who do believe that, this next part applies to you. What good is it for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul. If you have the opportunity, 
to have everything there is to have in this world, but it would cost you your soul in the next life, would you trade for it? You know, I was going over my notes this morning at the breakfast table, and my son Jaden walks up. He's like, what are you doing, Dad? Oh, I'm just going over the lesson, make sure, you know, it's ready and prepared. And he happened to catch me at this moment when I'm reading that phrase. And I said, look, I said, Jaden, if you have the opportunity to have everything there is to have in this world, but it would cost you your soul in the next life, would you trade it? And I'm thinking, he might say, no, I like Minecraft. <laughs> he might go, is there Minecraft in heaven? He goes, no way. He goes, no way. I want to go to heaven. I said, oh, that's good for you. I said, that's good. I'm glad you, that's a good answer. <laughs> what I'm trying to get him is I want him to think on his own about what he wants and get him away from what I want him to do. He's 10 years old. I want him to start going, you need to make your decisions. Don't do it and follow my decisions. I have my own reasons for my own decisions. You're going to need your own reasons for your decisions. It's time to separate the children to help them be, uh, have the conviction of, of making their own decisions. So Jesus goes, let me help you out. He gives another question. Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? If for some reason your soul was in peril, how much of the world stuff that you own, all this worldly things, these stuff you have, how much of your possessions would you be willing to trade to get your soul out of peril? Some of you would say, all of it! Yes, if my soul was in peril, I would give all of it. Some of you would say that. Some of you would be like, well, I'm not sure. Hmm. Like I said, if you don't believe in the afterlife, this part probably doesn't apply to you. So if you would be willing to trade all to ransom your own soul, then you've just answered the first and second question of Jesus. It's no good to gain the world and yet forfeit your soul. Because we believe, if you answer those questions correctly, you'd give anything in exchange for your soul. So we just discovered something. That our soul... Is not, is not of less value than our things, but our soul is of greater value than our things. Amen. Because we'd be, we'd be willing to give it all up if, our, if we realized our soul was in peril. We would do it in a heartbeat. Yes, I, we'd, throw our, we'd throw in our iPhones, our tablets, everything. Hell it all! Here you go, Jesus. Because my soul is worth more things. Throwing the cable bill while you're at it. Yeah. Someone say, well, someone will throw the Netflix remote. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 Netflix. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. There, there are things that we, we'd hold in our hand going. Because there are some things that we hold on to going. It's my soul's in peril. Is it really? Is it heaven? Is it really? Oh! We'd hope you throw it. Amen. It's no good to gain the world and lose your soul. That's what he's trying to say. Because I would be willing to trade all of that back for my soul at the end. I, I would trade it all if I was put in that position. 
So my soul and your soul is more valuable than everything in the world. So he's saying, deny yourself now or lose yourself later. If anyone is ashamed, because this is the point he's trying to make. What's the point, Jesus? Here's the point. If any of you are ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, because some people are afraid to be too closely associated with being a follower of Jesus. The reason why is to be identified as one, it might cost you some things. It might cost you something to be associated with Jesus. Maybe it's your job that keeps you away. Being associated with Jesus says, no, God is first, not my job. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's praying and just reading your, and learning about God and His Word. Maybe it's that. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you maybe an hour more of sleep to get up a little earlier and exercise and read and pray. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe they don't speak, think too kindly of Christianity, so you are the undercover Christian. Because you might lose a friend. What I find with my non-Christian friends, the more I tell them I'm a Christian and actually live that way, the more they admire and respect me. When I try to hide it, you know what ends up happening to me? I become more like them. That's, for, I, that's what I find in my 20 years of Christianity. Whenever I try to hide my Christianity, I become like them. Whenever I'm saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I don't, I, I don't believe in that, and then I become more like a follower. It might cost you something. Because he says this, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when He comes in His Father's glory and with the holy angels. So he's saying there's a day of reckoning. We wonder if He's coming back. Then again, He told us they were going to arrest Him and they did. They told Him He'd be beaten and He was. They told Him He'd be killed and He was. Uh, he, he told Him I'd raise her again in three days and He did. And then He's saying, I'm coming back and we have yet to see it. He will return. Because the everything else he said about himself came true. I believe that to be true. He's going to come back. And I hope he comes back and he finds me not ashamed. Amen. I hope he comes back when I see him. I'm holding my Netflix paddle going, ah! throwing it away. Going, yes, Jesus. Oh, but whatever I have, I'm just going to dump. If he's coming from the clouds, I'm starting kicking the TV out. I'm, th- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have everything out, all of my spiritual clothing out. I'm going to be ready. He's coming back. Because at some point in the journey when you follow Jesus, it will cost you something. No matter where you live. So here's the fine print. Salvation is free. You don't have to earn it. It's free. It costs us nothing. You don't have to earn it. It's free. Did a little shake shake there. <laughs> Following Christ will eventually cost us something because the, ad- the, the, the actual following parts will rub up against something. Yep. And it'll cost you something. Even though salvation is free and it costs us nothing. The good news is that you will not have to die for your faith. 
because you live in America. But you'll be called upon to die to some things for your faith. There will come a day or a season when following Jesus will cost you something. Because believing is painless. Church attendance is painless. Depending on where you go, of course, in America, it's painless. But eventually, there will be a cost. And you will get seemingly nothing in return for you following. Except the satisfaction of knowing that you did the right thing. That's what you'll get. It'll feel like a moral imperative. You'll feel like, I'm going to be obedient for the sake of obedience. I'm going to say no to myself for the sake of following. And if I fail to do the right thing, you know, I'm going to wish I can go back and, and, and relive that moment. That's, that's what I experience. Like, when I make a mistake, I go, okay, what went wrong there? Okay, if I'm ever in that situation again, I'm going to do the, the, the other choice. I'm going to actually follow the teachings of Jesus. For some, it's going to feel like death. Like you're dying to something. Like you're dying to this old life. And in some ways, you're right. You will die to it. But you'll appreciate your new life even better. It'll be a defining moment in your walk with God. You will always know when you follow Jesus whose you are. That's a comforting feeling. You'll find that your faith will grow. You'll find that you'll be rejected by men and you'll feel free at the same time. Liberated. Totally free. You know, my earliest experiences with, with, with God and His fellowship and college was being around, like what Joseph said, people that wanted to be around each other. Amen. I, grew up, I grew up in a church where I was the altar boy. And I, I served God and it, it made a, quite an impression on me. I saw a great building. I saw a lot of candles. It was, the atmosphere was amazing. I thought, God is real. So that little seed that got put in there developed. And I felt like an internal prompting when I got to college that when I got asked to study the Bible by a complete stranger, I was actually open to it. I mean, I was a little resistant, but in my heart of hearts, I was like, this guy opened the Bible, and I was impressed by that. He knew where he was going with it. So I felt that, and that's my experience. And you're going to have your own experience. You know, when I fell in love with Karen, out of all the good dancers in the church, <laughs> she picked the worst dancer in the church. Amen. I felt that experience going, wow, I get to date someone who's, who also follows Jesus. Amen. And it put, a, put us on the same page spiritually, like going, we're on the same page. We see Jesus the same. And you know what that's done? That's made us incredibly unified spiritually. Amen. Sometimes we have calendar challenges, but spiritually we're united. <laughs> we're there. Can you relate to that? Amen? I remember, you know, being asked to be a minister or an intern back then to work for the church. I remember how excited I was to quit my job. Like, I can't, I'm going to serve God. This is incredible. I called my boss, boss. I love you, I love this company, but I'm going to go work for God in the ministry. 
how you feeling right now? She's like, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. She's like, I'm gonna, I, I hate to lose you, but I, I, know where, I know where this is going. I was like, that's awesome. I remember those feelings going, this is exciting. And I worked for a company where I, where I, where I actually worked along other disciples. So it was kind of like a disciple company. But she was not a disciple. And she was my boss, and she was so awesome about it. I didn't expect that. I remember, you know, losing my hair at times when the church was struggling. I remember hair, chunks of hair falling out of the back of my head. And I thought to myself, am I in the right career? But then I also remember the times where I saw people's lives change. I saw marriages heal. I saw people heal. I seen some amazing things. I think to myself, yeah, I'm glad I, st- I'm glad I stuck it out. I'm glad I stayed. I'm glad I'm here. So many things I've experienced. You know, I'm a proud parent of two awesome children. And what I try to avoid when I follow Jesus is that this is for me. Now, I teach them things about God without putting pressure on them to be what I am. When they're little, little, it's fine. Jesus, you know me. Well, as they get older, we got to get away from my only wish. <laughs> my only last breath if I can have is that you have, a, have become a Christian and follow Jesus. That sounds awesome, but you just put an incredible amount of pressure on a young person. And you know what young people do when they get that kind of pressure? They run for the hills. Or they go, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Yes, I do. They get baptized. Yes, I do. They turn 18. No, I don't. That's what they do. How do you know this, Gio? What is your evidence? 20 years of seeing parents do it. To this day, they still do it. Because you can't help it because you love them and you want them to get this. But they have to choose for themselves. It's one choice you should never take away from your children. Give them the freedom to choose for themselves. And you have the maturity to let them choose. Without saying that prayer, come on, let's pray. Because we want to be in heaven together. (laughs) Don't we? You want to see mommy forever, right? Don't you want to be with daddy forever in heaven? Little hints are huge hints for kids. So I'm trying to give you that little forewarning. Don't do that to your children. Teach them. Have dinners together. Talk about God. Share the Bible. Have devotionals. Do all that. But what I tell my kids, this is what I do. You don't have to do what I do. This is what I do. I tell them plainly, you don't have to become a Christian. You don't have to believe what I believe. I will love you no matter what you do. That's what I do. I'm not saying you have to do that. That's what I tell my kids. They have enough already that their dad's a minister and has to come super early to church on Sunday morning and stay after. Like, why are we always the last to leave was the question this morning. And I said... Well, God put me to take charge of the church. You know, your teachers come early and they leave late. They do the same thing too. I had to give them another parallel. Like, I'm not the only guy that does this. Your teacher does it too. So he's like, 
And you can tell he's like, he already feels enough with what I do. So I try to relieve him. And I honestly relieve him. I don't say it just to, just to lie to him and deceive him. Would I want him to become a Christian? Absolutely. But they equate my love with their decision. So if they choose to follow Jesus, then I really love them. Well, what if they don't? Then I really halfway love them? That's where they go. So just a heads up, parents. Because in Jeremiah 29, 11, to the rebellious Israelites, God said this to them. They were rebellious. He disciplined them. And he says this, I have a plan for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And you don't need to worry about it. If you don't believe in the afterlife. You, have, you can leave here and go on your merry day. We, we, we had an awesome time with you. But for those who believe in the afterlife, there is something more. Some of you right now are in shock. And you're shocked because you've been on the verge of a decision going, I like this church. Oh, I, I like that. I like that Spanish guy up there. He, he makes sense. He makes a lot of sense. And then you hear this and you're going like, whoa, I got to change. I, gotta, whoa, whoa, I can't binge on Netflix. I gotta, selling your faith and your belief system are being tested. And you're being nudged to do something, to say something, to quit something, to start something, to give up something. And you know what you're supposed to do. And some people may be trying to talk you out of it. But you know. Since we've already determined that our souls are greater than our things, that's a pretty good thing. Jesus was, Jesus was awesome to, to kind of navigate through that going, let me help you dial it in a little bit. I love that. Do you know what happened to all those people that he had the, that Jesus had this massive audience? Do you know what happened to all those people who freaked out and walked away? You know what happened to them? Me neither. Good point. I know about the ones that did, but not the ones that walked away. So, where does this leave us? Good question. It's free. It costs you nothing. But following Jesus will eventually cost us something. Thanks for your time this morning.